You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. You're listening to Desert Island Gems, an in-depth and intimate interview where we ask our guests to select meaningful gems that they would take to a desert island if they were cast away alone. We hope that the journey inspires you and helps you reflect. For more information on the show, visit the Radio Ramadan Glasgow webpage and look out for extended versions of the interviews on mcmuslim.tv, the new online video channel for Scottish Muslims. Our guest today is Habib Malik, a real pillar of Scotland. He can often be seen fundraising in his kilt and Glengarry hat, no matter where he is in the world. For many years, he worked as head of the Scotland branch of the charity Islamic Relief and was one of the closest associates to the unique founder, Dr. Hani Albanna. He has travelled to over 25 countries and helped to raise hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds across the world for those less fortunate. In 2010, he was presented the Robert Burns Humanitarian Award. However, his life began in more humble surroundings. Born in a small village in Pakistan, Habib came to the UK in 1980. Graduating from university with a degree in chemistry, Habib went on to work as a chemical engineer before he decided to become the manager of a motor workshop. So, brother Habib, welcome. Thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum to all the listeners of Radio Ramadan. Wa alaikum salam. Thanks for joining us. Now, I guess your latest endeavour is called Magical Smiles, which aims to bring smiles to ill children by providing gifts to them. How did you come to choose this as one of the projects to put your efforts into? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Magical Smiles is a, just a name change. The project itself is not new. Uh, the founder is uh, Sister Rifana Salim. The project was called Colors of Islam. And uh, it is just uh, another version of that or a just scaled up version because we have changed slightly its constitution. Um, and we have included orphans abroad in it as well. So Magical Smiles... Um, and distributes gifts to sick children in hospitals in, throughout Scotland. And now what we have done is included uh, orphans abroad as well. So we can distribute, uh, give Eid gifts and uh, uh, some financial support to orphans uh, and the needy, extremely poor children. How did this journey of charity and humanitarian work first start? Uh, SubhanAllah, where do I go back? Uh, quite... It was in 2002 <clears throat> when I was approached by the head of Islamic Relief UK, uh, country director. Um, and I had no experience in the sector, but my main, I suppose, strength at the time was that was my extensive network throughout Glasgow. I, uh, I've always been a people person and uh, through my motor trade, uh, Alhamdulillah, I knew all my, my community very well. And that's one of the key skills, strength you need in charity sector, that you must uh, like people, you must network, talk to people, and uh, socialize with them. And uh, uh, that was that was I would say was one of the key strengths. And uh, <clears throat> I was asked to do the job for two three months and find somebody, or they said to me, <laughs> "We will find somebody." I think they just tricked me. Um, I closed my business. And uh, within the uh, first two months, the country director of Islamic Relief, he sent me to Sudan. Uh, 
with Dr. Hani Al Banna, the founder of Islamic Leaf. And I think he tricked it very well, you know, he planned it, planted it well. And we'll maybe hear about yeah. that, but where was your life heading before you had this offer? SubhanAllah, I left Glasgow in 2002 and ended, ended, uh, ended up in Aberdeen to explore and see the potential uh, back into my uh, chemical industry trade. So I can join as a, maybe a, an oil company as a, a chemical engineer. And so, so that was the reason I went to Aberdeen. Uh, while I was in search of jobs, this opportunity came. And um, just through an accident, I was supposed, I was in a function in a conference and I bumped into the country director of Islam Leaf and he said, I knew him before in past, from past as well. Every, I think quite a lot. Yourself know him as well, Osim Yaqub. Oh yes, of course. One yeah. of our old uh, yes. young Muslims in uh, Islamic Society of Britain. Because I remember the first time I met you, probably don't remember this, because um, I didn't know you at the time, and I was with Dr. Zakaria Abdul Hadi. SubhanAllah. And he, came, he was giving me a lift, and he swung by your <laughs> your workshop. Garage. And you know what these London what Road. his driving was like <laughs> and the state of his oh, car. Oh <laughs> yes, I remember that. So that's where he at first Dr. met, Zakaria. and then he said, "That's Habib. He's you know, Dr. he's old school, you know." Then Subhanallah. When I then obviously through Islamic relief and stuff. So tell yeah. us about that first journey. You you went with Dr. Hani. This was yeah, just about a few months into the job. The, yeah, this was a few months in the job, and um, as I say, I I didn't know much about poverty or what uh, this charity business is all about, and. Because we have never faced hunger and extreme poverty or even the areas of Pakistan where I come from, the villages, especially in Punjab. Maybe in South Punjab you, you do come across extreme poverty, but not, not in the northern part. So to me, honestly, I thought oh, it's just a holiday, I suppose. Well, how bad is it going to be? So, but straight uh, when we, we took the, the flight from London with Dr. Hani al Banna, I mean, straight into the flight after about half an hour. Dr. Hani uh, went in his mode and he says, well, guys, what's happening? What's, what are we talking about? What's the discussion? What's the topic? What, why are we going to Sudan? And, you know, he just started questioning us. And uh, that got me going, it got me thinking that why am I going to Sudan? Why am I going to actually do this? And one thing Dr. Hani said, look, I mean, I said, look, I'm going to help people. And he looked at my face. He says, you sure? What do we have to offer them? And he said to me, you'll be surprised, Habib, you will receive more help from them. Maybe not in financial terms, but emotionally and mentally and just the love and the spirit, your spirit will be lifted once you're with those poor people. And I still didn't understand what it was, because I've never experienced that. And um, then I remember landing in Khartoum and straight uh, heading to south of Sudan, area called um, Jubba. Uh, and that's when I said it was just a different world absolutely it's very difficult to describe because it was my first visit and to see human beings eating tree leaves and uh, children drinking water from puddles same place as animals and it was just just I was I was taken back and said what, was, what was there an the world is this was there an instant where the Penny dropped, and you penny, thought, yeah, penny dropped. Uh, in, Do you remember in, that? Instance? Oh yes, it's, it's been it's been in a lot of newspapers and so on as well. It was um, in a building supposed to be a hospital, uh, no electricity, no water supply, nothing, and it was. I think it was in the in some maybe in the old days it was a children's hospital. Uh, we walked in. There was about six seven beds. 
uh, no doctors, no nurses, nothing. And I noticed there was a few kids with their mothers. Uh, and one of the beds I approached, and it was a eight-year-old girl sitting there. Um, she didn't really have much, many, much clothes on, and I could I could see the bones on her body. I mean, she didn't have no meat, nothing. It was just skeleton. And I I was quite sort of mentally disturbed to see that. And first time I seen a severely malnourished. Uh, it was like a state, like you know when you see famine, the kids. So it was that state. And I asked her mother through the translator. Um, there's no doctor here, there's nothing here, there's no electricity. Uh, why are you sitting here? And her mother replied to me that I'm waiting for her to die. And then, uh, because here at least we've got shelter. And when she said that, I, when the translator, I physically broke down. I just was unconscious for a few minutes. What was and it about I could, that, that? I could see my own daughter in, in, in that child's face, you know. And I just panicked. I just... Uh, uh, and then they they took me outside and gave me some water just just to sort of uh, so, uh, again my conscience again and and I started crying and uh, I was really really I couldn't sleep for three four days and then Doctor Honey explained to me he says you need you need to be strong there's more this is just the start this is this is not UK no this is this is real world and now you will see what what reality is and then as we travelled and uh, we went to another camp. Um, and in this camp there was about 20,000 people and uh, when when I came out of the car with Dr. Honey and we were walking towards the camp and the smell was just unbearable as we approached towards children and towards the tents and I noticed Dr. Honey he was still smiling and children all were running up to him and he was holding on to their fingers and just sort of like chilling with them and I, there's me I had my hand on my nose because I couldn't breathe, it was absolutely stinking. And I, um, Dr. Honey looked at me and he said, what's wrong? I said, Dr. Honey, these are so smelly, I can't, I can't bear the smell. And he laughed at me and he said, uh, Habib, who pays your wages? And I said, Islamic Reef. And he said, he smiled and he said, no, 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 no. See these smelly children and these women and the widows out there, they are your masters. They are the boss. They are the ones who pay your wages because of them. This is why we Islamic Leaf exist. And uh, they are the ones who you are raising money and you will be raising money. But don't forget, it's because of these. And I, I looked and I said, SubhanAllah, he's absolutely right. And then I removed my hand and after that I've never smelled. No smell. And in tsunami, when I was in there, in Bandiachi, I had dead bodies lying in front of me. I arrived after two weeks. after, And... To me, smell is, 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 is irrelevant now. You know, I can handle it now. And many people talk about Dr. Hani. Yeah. Um, and he, he's, he's a very unique individual. I mean, what, what do you think is so special about him? Uh, Why, well, if I were to sum up his life, he's very, very close to humanity, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and physically, you see him with poor people all the time anyway. So in, in all components of a human's person, he is there. And he is a very visionary uh, person as well. Uh, Allah has just blessed him. I mean, uh, I don't normally say that the leaders are born, but I, wallahi, for him, I think he was he's naturally born as a leader. And uh, it's his humbleness, his approach, 
He's, he's just simple man. Uh, I mean, he, he, just, he just gets on with everybody. Muslims, non-Muslims, atheists, even. I remember in another country, there were people, they were, they were, I don't know what they were worshipping. And there's Dr. Hani chilling with them and just relaxing. And, and he says, human, human beings, these are creation of Allah. Come embrace them. And then once I seen this man holding on to a tree, he was hugging a tree and he was crying as well. And he was making, he said, Habib, you go and hug that tree. And I thought Dr. Hani was going mad. I said, hug a tree. He says, listen, go and feel the pain of this tree, which is deprived of, or which is struggling. It was droughts. It was in south in in Kenya and during droughts and famine. And he said, you have to feel the pain of even trees as well. And then he went over to a camel who was dying. I mean, camels can last without water for three, four weeks. And this camel just couldn't, hunt. it was to, uh, to his last breaths. And there's Dr. Honey sat there and he was holding on to a camel's leg and he was crying like a child, honestly. And he was saying, Allah, forgive me, forgive me. I can't do anything. I'm so helpless. I can't save this animal. This is this man, Dr. Honey Albana, you know. You what? don't see that in a human. And what do you think keeps him going? Because he's been, it's not like he's yeah. done it for a few years, yeah. he's done it for decades and yeah. he's still going. And it's just, just, he's so clear from day one what his mission is. And he always said, look, you're not here to save humanity. You're not here to say, the ultimate mission is to seek the pleasure of Allah. It's, we, do, we do that through serving humanity. So that is the key. He's so clear on that, that he's always constantly talking to Allah. Uh, and this is, I mean, I sometimes talk fundraising or money and he doesn't like that. He says, don't talk to me about money. Talk to me about human beings. How many lives you have saved? How many people have benefited? How many kids have been educated? I want to talk about human beings. I'm not interested in millions you guys raise on stage. And he just doesn't. And so many times I've asked him, please come onto the stage. And can you say a few words, just which will help me to raise money? He says, he slapped me a few times. He says, I will not do that. I will go, he usually ask me what message you want me to go and give on the stage. And I will say to him, please tell them, give me this one. He said, rubbish, Shabi, human beings, tell me about humanity message, you know. And he's, he's, he's just a humble person okay. and every, he's such a likable personality. So tell us about your first item that you're going to take with you on the desert island. Oh my, <laughs> I do uh, keep a note of everything I do. Uh, and I think without my notebook and pen, I would, I would, I wouldn't enjoy my break on the desert island. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. And I notebook is very important, and a wee pencil is very, very important. Then I, w- I, I would, I would remember some of the key um, uh, verses from the Quran, which really, really are very close to my heart. Individually, I would um, um, Surah Yasin because I think I've almost memorized it. It's very, very close to me because, you know, when I left my school and I started university and uh, I used to go on a bus uh, from my home to, it was, at the time it was Glasgow College of Technology, now it's called Caledonian. And that half an hour journey, uh, I had a small Quran and I used to read Surah Yasin every single day. And uh, mashallah, I memorized it and it was just... It was um, engraved my brain. And that surah is, is very, very close to me. And I, I still, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, I still read a lot. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Yaseen.
والقرآن الحكيم إنك لمن المرسلين على صراط مستقيم تنزيل العزيز الرحيم لتنذر قوما ما أنذر آباؤهم فهم غافلون لقد حق القول على أكثرهم فهم لا يؤمنون إنا جعلنا في أعناقهم أغلالا فهي إلى الأذقان فهم مقمحون وجعلنا من بين أيديهم سدا ومن خلفهم سدا فأغشيناهم فهم لا يبصرون reminds you of your university absolutely years. absolutely i mean every time i hear it or i read it myself i can just feel i can just imagine myself sitting on that bus and just heading to the university so you uh, um you grew up in pakistan didn't you pakistan i couldn't speak the language when i came here so tell us a bit about your early life so pakistan you grew up in pakistan islamabad what yeah was life like well in the village my first school was in a village um uh, we didn't have a proper school building it was just under trees and uh, i still remember my first primary class under a tree and i still up till this age day when i every time i visit village i i go and sometimes sit under that tree and just remember the those stones i used to sit on and i remember mother used to make a paratha you know and it wrapped up in this uh, cloth and uh, that was our lunch uh, and uh, and then we had in english what do you call it we call it takhti it was a it was a wooden plate uh, like a, a wee small a slate. slate and then we used to write on it and you were you would only write once a day because you had to go and wash it and then you had to dry, keep it dry it and, and that's and we you we interested in studying and we studying in school at the time <laughs> as, as a young child were you distracted and were you after a few years then i moved to islamabad because in the village i learned uh, the wrong language in the villages you learn swedish you <laughs> know typical typical pendu boy you know so a uh, father was concerned i need to move him from a village life to urban so i moved to islamabad and uh, for a year it was a big cultural shock then uh, i became a typical islamabad ladi um i think music i i don't know why from that age music was a problem for me and um i i i, st- I still up till last 10 years i used to play sitar uh bad weakness so i suppose and um did you get uh, to bother with learning that and playing that did you get some sitar, resistance and- sitar uh, my family didn't approve it but uh, i don't know i just like the sitar uh, instrument I've, i haven't played for the last 10 years maybe 15 years now but uh, i used to play in castles and uh, non muslim concerts and events uh, here in scotland yeah um but islamabad um so i you, think that's you, where i i, pick, I pick my my urdu language which is which is my second language english is third but in urdu i'm very more comfortable in this is a language because it was my primary uh, education is in urdu and uh, so i have a very sound 
knowledge and uh, vocabulary in Urdu. And, so and that was a big strength, I think. And what age did you leave Pakistan? 14. Because you were in Pakistan until the age of 14. 14, and then I came straight to Glasgow. So how did that come about? My parents, my, my father was here. Uh, he was a black hackney driver. I believe he was the first Asian black hackney driver in Scotland. Um, he was a bus driver before in Reading. Then he moved here in 74. Um, then he had a, a car repair garage and um, we joined me. My, my so mother. he had come beforehand? That's right, yeah. And then my mother and my brother and my sister we joined. Here. And so you, where were you in terms of the siblings, in terms of, are you the eldest? Or my the sister or? is older than it's me, then it's my young brother. So were you the man of the house? That's it. And my young brother, you know him anyway, he's Dr. Abdul Rashid. He's um, in Aberdeen. Okay. But well, he's in Qatar now, but he used to be in Aberdeen. And so was, um, I mean, was there a sense of responsibility, I guess, being the man of the house back in Pakistan when you were young? I think we've had it on the plate, honestly. We've been, Allah has blessed us with so much and we really haven't seen the hardship Well, our parents and grandparents. My father still reminds me, Alhamdulillah, financially we are very stable. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. My father still reminds me, you know, every time when I go onto stage or maybe I'm on a TV or maybe me and some prime ministers, he always reminds me, don't forget the day. We were very poor. This is my father's words. We were very poor. And he reminds me when he was seven, five, six, seven years of age, he reminds me that they used to live in one room. This is how poor my background is, my parent, grandparent. And the animals they had, the big, the buffalo was buffalo was more important to them than uh, their own baby because buffalo used to be was source of income. That was their livelihood. That used to be in the same room. And sometime during the night, when the buffalo, uh, there were two reasons. One, in the winter they used to get the heat, body heat, you know. And second, they just had no other place. And then you can see the waste of the buffalo. And it was all, it was smelly, you know, it, was, it wasn't very comfortable. But he says, never, ever forget your roots. And I always remember that, you know, and uh, Alhamdulillah, that uh, that's the, 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 the journey we all began. And, and what was it like then coming to Scotland, a Pakistani boy yeah. in your early teens, which is difficult enough? Was yeah. it different? Did you, I, was it challenging or how did you fit in? I, I think I was quite fortunate because my father lived in the east end of Glasgow. Kermail and hardly any Asian families there and the school I went to I was the only Asian in Bealiston and I had no choice but to speak the language so it wasn't like here Shawlands you know and you can speak your upbringing language <laughs> so I had to and I think that's where I picked up the, the language quickly Were you accepted? And, oh they absolutely loved it absolutely loved it I never ever ever faced racism never been called any names by, or, or in my school and I remember in the in those days, this is the 82, 83, 84, every child wanted to play with me because I was the only Asian uh, pupil in the, and uh, they knew I couldn't speak the language. So they made sure they guide me to another class and they, it was just beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, Happy memories, memories, memories of the, yeah. And did you um, show signs of, I guess, leadership at that stage? Uh, no, no, I was very shy. And quiet. Uh, I think mainly because of my my language, I had language problem. But whereas in Pakistan, in Islamabad, 
Oh yes, in my last three, four years, I was always, we used to call it monitor in the class. So I was like the, the if the if the teacher left the class, so I had to manage. So, and plus I used to sing as well in the class as well. As I said, that was another. And when you arrived, did you miss Pakistan? Had you missed, had I, you wanted to go back or were you happy? And no, I would say for the first three, four years, I didn't really miss much when I was in school. I was quickly accepted here. And um, the thing which I did, kept going was I kept reading Urdu. I still kept writing in Urdu. And those days, my uncle or my, they, they couldn't write. They would say, can you write an Urdu letter? You know, we had those, the good old days, you know, the post set. And I still kept writing. And uh, I'm so glad that I, I did I did do that. I didn't lose my, my Urdu and uh, writing and speaking skills. And, uh, but alhamdulillah, I, I loved it. My school days, then uh, left school and I didn't have enough O grades. We had ogres in the old days. And I only had one, I passed only one with, and that was my art. <laughs> I didn't have nothing, so I couldn't do anything. Then I went to Clydebank College to uh, uh, get some, gain some sort of ogres and hires, which Alhamdulillah managed. And then, but interestingly, in my fifth year in, here in school, we used to have career officers, and they would interview and they say, well, what do you want to become? And I said, I want to become a, chemist, uh, I wanted to learn chemistry. And the guy looked at me and says, chemistry? You, you don't have no, I don't think you'll even get a single O-grade and you need hires to do chemistry degree. And I think you should become a joiner or a plumber or do one of these uh, courses. And I said, nah, nah, nah. And uh, then after I said, you know what? I'm gonna take this, take this up as a challenge and I'm gonna get a degree in chemistry. And uh, SubhanAllah I did. Why did you choose? What was that about chemistry chemistry, that to you? chemistry um you know in, in I remember in fourth year or fifth year we had those t you know those test tubes we used to do some experiments and I think I like that you mix two uh, liquids together and the colors change and all I don't know I physics wasn't wasn't really exciting for me or biology but chemistry I, I think I, I, I just and, and was there a to, sense at that time that you had to prove yourself in, that your, was, in your teens and your I had to prove to my school. To especially that person was always in my head, the career, why he thinks I can't do it. And uh, I, I, would, I would say I did struggle when I, in my, to, I went to Clydebank College. One, it was very far from my home. And secondly, uh, I had to work really, really hard to get O grades and hires in one year. And, uh, and then entry into college. And once I got into the college, it was, it was hard as well. But so I, kept, I kept going, yeah. Tell us about your next item. Okay, next item. Where am I? I oh, this is a this is the one I have spoken in mosques a lot. This is a, a verse which uh, I talk a lot about, and it's linked to chemistry as well. Where is it? Where is it? Uh, Surah Saf, verse number four. <laughs> The translation is verily Allah loves those who struggle in his path in rows as if they are solid structure. You know the solid structure word? And I said I because being a chemistry, I said solid structure. Why is Allah been talked about? So he's given example as a solid structure. And I I studied each atom and carbon I noticed is the hardest element. 
and carbon comes in two different shapes graphite and diamond and look amazing how this one atom of carbon is teaching us how to develop a community how you should be living in a community and you'll become like a diamond structure if you love each other equally that's what in carbon in a diamond structure carbon is is equally bonded to each atom yeah whereas the same carbon if it goes into layers and groups like in a graphite which is so weak it breaks it's black has no value then and you see look at the community we are divided into small groups and the enemy just penetrates right through the middle where this is through one atom Allah is teaching us how you should be all living together as a solid structure like as a equally bonded equally equal relationship with each other and this is what companions had look how they loved each other and you could and that that's how they success and when the enemy came they were they were just it was like you know a diamond look diamond everybody loves it diamond it is the hardest element to melt you need 4000 degrees temperature to melt it and diamond is very expensive is beautiful everybody loves it and it's an insulator you know what i mean and if, i mean maybe i'm going too much chemistry here but uh, this is what the communities should be that if anybody external enemies come they will, everybody will be standing together and defending the community and you will shine in a, in a, in the world if you are together and learn from this one atom carbon how we should be living together how the community should be developed and that's what allah says here that when you're together and um, as if you're a, like a solid structure you know and there's a lot of hikma in, in this way Yes, and I've given a lot of khutbas on this on this verse as well in and terms you, of community development. And when you think about the Glasgow Scottish mm. community, mm. are you hopeful or do you despair in terms of where we're at? I, as I say, based on my 36 years in this in this country, I think Scotland is probably one of the best countries to live, not only for Asians but for everyone. Um, in 36 years, maybe twice I've I've been called names, face racism, and that is that is uh, amazing. in um it's a, it's a, i've lived in aberdeen i've lived here glasgow motherwell so um i think the ball is in our court it depends how asians muslims how other minority how they uh, what attitude they have towards the host community uh, because i think something we expect too much i think from the mainstream and because uh, the, the verse that you quoted hmm. was obviously talking about unit you know the community working together individuals in the community working together yeah um for for a greater purpose isn't it um do you see that happening over the years do you think as a community particularly muslim community are we getting stronger or are we getting more fragmented do you think i i i think we are getting stronger more stronger especially the young i see when i see a lot of desire to learn about not only islam but also to integrate to mingle and to to as uh, to uh, join up see uh, just recently I bumped into these young uh, uh, guys and they are uh, they are mashallah they were campaigning com- campaigning on the streets uh, because elections are coming around and I know these two boys and I said wow <laughs> and these guys have got degrees in nothing to do with politics it's amazing to see all that you know and uh, especially the some of the sisters mashallah very active as well and uh, to me future is bright Uh, it's an uh, exciting it's excited exciting future i think for uh, in scotland for all communities I, uh, you do get pockets here and there who uh, maybe sometimes media you see negative uh, sort of a uh, highlight or criticizing 
uh, are but, blowing uh, issues out of proportion. Are you generally but an optimist? Very, very much in so. Life. Very much so. Oh, very much so. Allah has created this creation. It's amazing people. Wallahi. Un- there are so many diamonds. So many jewels and diamonds in the not only even Muslim community, even non-Muslim community. Unbelievable. Um, especially because being a fundraiser, generosity I see. People are so, there are so many people who are struggling financially. But every time when you ask them, they give. I have never, ever, ever been refused money. Even recently a person and because I'm mentioning about money, I'll tell you. Recently, I was fundraising in Pakistan and I was asking for money. And this person, after I finished, he called me off the stage and says, can I see you outside the venue? I said, this was in Muzaffarabad recently, just uh, on 28th of December. I went outside and he started crying. And I said, why are you crying? He says, you were asking for money. And he, he put his hand in his pocket he, and he says, I only have one rupee. I am a laborer here. You know, this marquee where you're sitting. I was part of setting up this and I only have one rupee. And can I, would you accept this? I was too embarrassed. And I hugged him. Wallahi, I kissed his forehead. And I went, I took him near the stage and I went on the stage. And I said, look, tonight I'll tell you the biggest donation I've received. And the biggest donation I've received is one rupee. And this, wallahi, is, is this is this just shows you. There's so many times these, these uh, I've got so many stories like these. And then you said, subhanAllah, look at Allah. Allah has, you know, every human being, it is in their natural desire to give, irrespective of religion. It depends how we approach them. Do you worry that this whole charity and humanitarian sector um, is becoming too commercialized, overinflated sometimes? Because I guess there's more and more charities, there's more and more uh, events happening. Um, I mean, somebody that's been there from very early on over the last few decades. Do you feel that things are, yeah. are losing? I, people are losing focus in charities, etc. Yeah. I, I don't have an issue with um, charities opening up left, right, and center. Well, like, yeah, no, I, the, the, the point is, in fact, two days ago I was in a function and a couple of brothers came up. He said, "We want to set up a charity." I said, "Okay, that's good news." I said, "But why do you want to set up?" And that why they couldn't answer. Because they were just copying others, because others have done it, or we want to do it, because so and so family is doing it, so my family wants to do it. And I always say to people, why has to be greater than how? How are you going to raise the money? Don't worry about how you're going to raise the money. First, be very clear in what is your mission, why you want to do it. Is there a gap? Is there, Are you focusing on a particular cause? And that is where I think charities are struggling. They are struggling to, to uh, show the differentiation factor and people are seeing they're all the same, whereas they are not. But unfortunately, this is the sad situation in the NGO sector, especially in the Muslim sector, I would say, my own, because I'm involved in it, where I think instead of mission-orientated, mission-focused, they're more money-focused, or they're beginning to go around that route, and that's a disaster. Because when you chase money, Dr. Ani always says, if you chase money, money will run away from you. Chase the message, chase the people, chase the mission. Chase those poor people. They are the masters. Keep them focused always in your mind and money will follow you. Tell us about your next item. My next item, I think, is, is everybody knows this uh, surah. Is, uh, uh, I always remind my children and my friends, look, if you uh, want to, uh, if somebody asks you the summary of the Quran, is uh, uh, surah asr, 
This this uh, verse. I mean, there's there's so many scholars who speak a lot about this. That if you want to understand the whole Quran, the whole mission of your life is all here and summarized such a uh, simple words that uh, four basic commands there and follow them and that's you simple religion so simple. So Habib, obviously faith is, is a very significant part of your life in Islam. Has that been present from an early age? Uh, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, my family, parents, grandparents, quite religious. Um, it's something I proudly, proudly say. Uh, my young brother, you know him, Dr. Shi. He has never, ever, ever, ever missed a prayer. He cannot remember. <laughs> he cannot remember missing a prayer. And he's never, ever, ever heard a purchase a music CD or, you know, something like that. I mean, I'm the opposite. I'm not saying I'm like him. But alhamdulillah. Uh, I think it's, he's always stayed with mother. Mother's been very religious, mashallah. Parents, grandparents, and you'll find, uh, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, it's a strong uh, religious background, um, which helped a lot. You've spoken publicly before about mm. being adopted. Yes. Um, did you ever have difficulties coming to terms with this? Subhanallah. Uh, you know, something people say, uh, to ask me for my parents and I always say look I've got two mothers and two fathers and they get confused what do you mean two mothers and two fathers and at the age of four I was adopted another family uh, my mother my blood mother was in village my father was in UK but I moved into Islamabad my, we didn't have any relatives at the time in Islamabad so my father uh, has friend his friend uh, I, they adopted me and I lived with them for 10 years and uh, the love, I both have passed away. May Allah bless. They both, uh, the love I received from that family, they were poor, uh, but in terms of love, they were very rich. And even if you go in that area now, it's in G72 in Islamabad, uh, in those trees. And if you mention my name, because they will refer to me as the son of my, uh, you know, Abdul Hamid, who was my father's friend. Not my my own, and it's, it's some of my friends from Islamabad who I grew grew up. They they don't know this. And did yeah. you know when you were growing up that? Yes, I know. Yeah, did, did, yeah. Had that been first year was difficult because I came from the village and I was. But then, Alhamdulillah, the love as I say I received from them, and um, I've been very very fortunate because I've had two mothers and two fathers and half of my family here and and the adopted family they. They are in France, so I've got family here as well, and it just is really. Do you you think maybe Mm. that your commitment to charity work might have stemmed from some of these early experiences about, you know, of being adopted Mm. and some of the challenges that that raises? 
probably I think I think my grandfather Alhamdulillah he used to do his bit in his, in the village as a, uh, in terms of charity and my father Alhamdulillah I remember from young age even when he was a taxi driver I remember he used to every single day he had this money box in the old days and he would take some out every I mean I watched all that and then I seen him using that money to set up a school when I was young age and and I remember uh, uh, it was difficult in those days uh, but now uh, looking back I th- think part of that has played a big role um, in, in, in where I am right now and do you think thinking about those days has that affected how you are as a father to your children yeah alhamdulillah I mean I, I do encourage my children and remind them every time I'm abroad I come back and I I, I show them the pictures and I sh- explain to them what, the situation and uh, uh, share some of the stories about other children their age uh, just to remind them uh, look how lucky you people are and look at the children abroad and I always say some of those children are, I have adopted them now so I've got about 14 children right now people ask me how many kids you got I said 14 14 and they get oh you I said 14 and I don't see any difference with them and I still go and see those children and uh, even in the village somewhere in Pakistan and during the floods I, I adopted and to me they're just I, I, I don't see no no difference between them and my own children because uh, they were born while I was there and uh, subhanallah it's just uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's that's life that's my life yeah tell us about your next item my next item uh, is a, it's an, it's a saying um, act or you'll be acted upon um, I use that myself a lot in some of the training with volunteers or talking in public that you have to be you have to act you have to be always in control uh, especially in terms of community or individually that you're always moving you have to be this is what what islam teaches us that you cannot be stationary either every day you are growing emotionally intellectually spiritually or you're going back the way uh, there's no such a thing as status quo even in terms of business if you're running business each day either your business is losing or winning you know or, or making and uh, uh, as a personal uh, in, in your personal capacity I always uh, remind myself and tell other people that every day you've got to improve uh, and that improvement has to be through action and, uh, and in terms of community make sure we, we are an active community because if you're not then you'll be acted upon then you'll be complaining then we'll be moaning and that that's uh, we do see that don't we that we are reactionary sometimes we don't do we don't we are not proactive and something happens in the media or wherever and then we are out there with the placards and with the rallies and so on that is that that upsets me that why do we have to wait that other people act on us and then we are reactionary and then we go into this reactionary mode and that what this really is that if you don't act if you are not proactive then you're, you're losing it, you know. And having seen a lot of the difficulties around the world, and I guess even when you do some of these humanitarian work, you perhaps realize that there's some things you can change and some things you can't. They're at maybe at a higher level. Does that frustrate and True. anger you? No, no. I, I, I look back and say, look, what can I do? My circle of influence is, is limited, obviously. I, I may have concern 
to save the whole humanity or save the world. I can't. But on the day of judgment, I say, and I see a lot on the stage, Allah will not ask you how many orphans did you sponsor or how many water wells did you build or how many. As long as you save one. And I always remind, it's a story I share a lot. It's, it's about this, this small bird, um, Sparrow, who is just a story. I mean, and the, but there's a lot of wisdom in it that... She sees a village on fire, and then she, uh, this bird is flying. Uh, the the bird is uh, the sparrow is flying to the nearest. Uh, there's a lake or a water stream, and uh, the uh, sparrow goes there and takes uh, a few drops into into her small beak or mouth, what you call it. And then she um, then flies over this village and then drops those few drops of water. And there were some people sitting on the outskirts of the village, and they say to the sparrow. You are so stupid. Look look at the size of you. You're so tiny and small. And do you think you will be able to put the fire out? And the sparrow replies, Look, I know I'm tiny and I know I will not be able to put the fire out. And But on the day of judgment, when Allah will ask me, What did you do? At least I can say, Look, I tried. And that's what I always say to people. Look, just do your bit. Do your little bit. And uh, it's all these little tiny bits drops. They, they, they mean... they mean a lot and they 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 have a lot of um, they add value and uh, if we all do every day just a little bit good we'll be it'll be amazing amazing world and it's often been um, documented that charity workers maybe journalists maybe mm. doctors that go out in the field particularly in war zones etc find it really difficult to adjust when they return because of the luxury because they've been perhaps living on adrenaline um, a normal life can become seem so detached and mundane people are arguing over petty things um, how do you, do you cope when you used to return back from these field trips yeah, yeah. I mean I, again those field trips I use it for my personal sort of training and I remind my family and other friends as well that look this world is a small world very fragile world and I do see every day people are arguing or fighting or or cheating on each other, you know, for petty things. And I said, SubhanAllah, because I, when I went to Indonesia after tsunami 2004, December, 26th of December 2004, I uh, I was in Bandi after about two weeks. And I came across millionaires who lost everything. And they were queuing up, waiting for a, a handover or somebody will give them a food package or uh, a bottle of clean water. And those scenes... I've never ever forgotten they are stuck in my memory and, and they, they motivate me and they keep me sort of remind me and I, I use them in my in my fundraising as well that that is the reality of the world so your life could change anytime anytime you could lose whatever you have so um, when you've been on some of these yeah. trips I mean what's mm. the first 24 to 40 hours like when you land back I mean is it back in find it yeah. diff- really difficult to oh, adjust oh yes oh yes I, I took a um, BBC Scotland TV crew to Niger, or some people call it Niger, in 2006. We had a, a, an emergency there. And in Niger, we, 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 we witnessed uh, again in this village where people collected water uh, and animals and human beings were all drinking from the same place. And then you see uh, ladies uh, dying because of hunger or father has died because of hunger and the child is holding showing you a plate of dry grass that this is what we eat 
all those scenes on a daily basis you witness and then next time you take a flight you take a flight and you end up landing in Paris and Charles de Gaulle and you and me and I remember the journalist with me for for at least two three hours our flight was delayed to Glasgow we we didn't even speak to we were just shocked that look within eight nine hours look the scenes have changed and here everybody's it's just it was just shocking to see the the two extremes within nine ten hours and then uh, but then it does for two three days i remember my first trip and somalia oh yes i remember in 2011 as well when i went to somalia during famine when i came back i could not sleep for a week because as soon as i I was closing my eyes i could see those skeleton bodies and and just dead people um and the the memories of those ladies who were telling me stories you know how they have lost their children on a journey from their village to Mogadishu and uh, to this capital of Somalia and um, they were the heartbreaking scenes I think some of the heartbreaking scenes I've seen were in Somalia in 2011 in Famine um, Niger Sudan and Afghanistan and obviously um, in Syria and these sleepless nights yeah. and these nightmares, did, did you ever think, I can't do this or I need to you know, do, no, some, I, do I, something I, else? They give me energy, you know. In UK, when I'm fundraising, sometimes I get very tired and I, I drain myself. But in the field, field, you can work 24 hours. You don't get hungry. You're so, you're, 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 you want to save. You see everything in front of you. Is the emotional was, impact not such so, so significant? You put your head down on the pillow at night and it's just you and your thoughts and you try to process everything that you've seen or have you got a different way of dealing with it? Yeah. Do, you, do you not think of it and just move on to the next thing? Or because you, you, see, you see, you you again you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing us. I mean I say I am in this situation with these people. Allah has brought me here. Allah has chosen me. So I have to do my bit. Why, why me, you know? So I, I see as a test for me. Those people there um, who are in front of me where they're hungry and so on I see as a test on them as well see how they respond to the situation and I find in natural f- disasters like s- tsunami and floods and earthquakes and so on people are very patient and they have a lot of sabr whereas in the war zones whether it was Afghanistan where I went to Lebanon I went to Syria I went to it is the opposite. People are very hostile, angry at you, and that's where you you you, you feel angry yourself as well. Have you, have you ever felt your life's been in danger while you've been on? In Afghanistan, in Kandahar, once uh, I did in Lebanon, two thousand July two thousand and six, during uh, Lebanon and Israel Christ. That they were the only two situations. Syria, I did go inside, but I, I was there in 20, 2013 in Idlib situation still was bad we could still uh, we didn't hear any uh, sort of gunfighting because it was far away but still traveling from a village to a village uh, you could see even kids carrying guns and uh, i visited a few hospitals where people are injured but live ammunition and fighting and and right in the heart where i've been is in afghanistan and in uh, lebanon uh, lebanon i was one kilometer away from uh, one of the me and dr honey from a bomb uh, it was scary. Did you think it was you were noisy? Gonna die? Um, I suppose at the time, uh, you know, when we entered Lebanon, Doctor Honey 
told the driver to stop the car. We were entering from Syria to Lebanon. And he said to us, come out of the car. We came out and he said, look, whoever wants to go back can go back. From here, I'm going in. If you just want to come in, it's up to you. Islamic League is not pushing you to go in. And I said, no, Dr. Nee, we are going in. We are coming with you. And uh, that one moment when the bomb line not far from where we were, and you can see it was it was horrible. You know, the, the, these jet fighters who, who come uh, to bomb, the noise, and it's very scary because the whole building shakes. And uh, then you just read Kalima. You know? <laughs> Allah knows if, if this is the destiny, then that's it. Tell us about your next item. My next item, uh, uh, oh yes, um, it's, it's, it's something I think a lot of us suffer from, uh, constantly worrying about what has happened in the past, and uh, we have regrets, and uh, we look back and we say, wish I'd done that, wish that happened, and I do sometimes as well, but then I sort of train myself, look, it's past, you know, it's not going to change, and amazing is that Allah is so amazing, Allah is merciful. And he is, he'll bless you, you know. If you have lost something, he'll give you more. And if you have lost maybe uh, your child, maybe your father, and move on. You have to, we have to move on. And we have to look at what lies. There's always a blessing in disguise. I mean, uh, we lose. I remember I was really, really down when we lost Imran Khand. Now, not many people know that. I wasn't here. I was in Pakistan. Brother Imran and me, we spent so much time together. So much time together in the... 86 to about 94, five years. People in Glasgow used, thought we were blood brothers related. Day and night we spent together. And I was in Pakistan when he, and f- for five, six days, I, I just couldn't believe that uh, I've lost a very dear brother. And uh, then, uh, subhanAllah, Allah gives you that strength. And especially, uh, I say to people, and we have to be present, focused, and 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 think of the future. And it's an opportunity. Every day, every breath is an opportunity that Allah has given us. the The biggest blessing we have right now is that we are alive, and that that's something we should remember instead of looking back and keep constantly looking at the failures. And yes, well, we should have to learn from our past mistakes, but we have to move on with time. Another close friend that you've lost is uh, Junaid Jamshed. Oh, you knew him personally through, you know, the immense amount of charity work that he did, and you know, I think how his life turned mm. from one way direction to another. Do you remember when you first found out that he had passed? Away? I was in Pakistan. I was there uh, in Islamabad. Um, no, I was in my village, and my cousin ran over to me and he said, "Look, we heard there's a flight just crashed." And um, Junaid Jamshed was in it, and uh, just just body. I just felt I was, I was numb, you know. Just I couldn't see anything, or I said, I know. Just all the memories started coming. I mean, how I've how been well did you know him? Well, I've been I've done a lot of tours with him, and fundraised in England and also in Glasgow and uh, Junaid Bhai. And he was a very. He used to say, "My dear." That was his no no. You will say, "My dear," you know, "My dear Habib," "My dear." He, he just he was an amazing person. Just a beautiful, beautiful personality, and uh, constantly just his link to Allah and reminding us, look, less focused on our mission. And um, uh, Subhanallah, he, he again like Dr. Ani, he, he wouldn't talk about money. He would talk about the mission. And Mashallah, he's, he's um, his. You look at his history. You know, look how, how what he was and how Allah changed. 
and put him on a beautiful track and he's inspired so many so many uh, and we witnessed his janaza and millions of people attended you know and they still remember him even two days ago i was in a fundraising event and the one of the uh, speaker he was speaking about Junaid Jamshid as he's alive. He's, you know, he, that was his emotions, his feelings towards Junaid Jamshid that I, I just cannot accept he's gone, you know, because his, uh, subhanAllah, his message is still there and they were singing the Nasheeds, which he's famous uh, for. And uh, But amazing personality, subhanAllah. There's so many other people as well. But Junaid, he was, uh, was special. Tell us about your next item. Uh, subhanAllah. Uh, uh, everybody wants to be happy and uh, it's, it's a quote I think I read um, I think it's Rumi's quote Mulana Rumi say, happiness is not an accident nor is it something you wish for happiness is something you design and uh, I again here instead of complaining and being this feeling as a victim of situations and so on I say Allah has given you control, Allah has given you authority, Allah has given you the the, the ability and uh, create your life and be happy and don't look at people who are ahead of you or who are in financial terms, you know, look at the ones who are behind, subhanAllah. You know, I was just, just where I, before I come into the studio, I was at a barber shop and subhanAllah, there's a brother who I've known him for a long time, but I hadn't seen him for for last seven, eight years and there he's coming uh, use, walking with uh, walking sticks and so on you know he's my age and I was saying subhanallah this brother used to be well, we used to play badminton together and he said and he said look I've got arthritis and I've got other problems and and uh, but he says alhamdulillah I'm still happy Allah's given and I said subhanallah and I complain you know sometimes I'm tired because I've done a three four hundred mile journey and uh, it's just happiness is something we have to make the best of the situation and always uh, see as a blessing even if it's difficult times and whatever Allah is all there's always a wisdom behind which sometimes we don't understand and hikmah and Allah sometimes we don't understand we don't see it sometimes we want to we want something to happen and it's not happening and we get frustrated and why is this happening and I say Allah there's definitely a reason and uh, what is happening is the best for me that's what Allah has chosen for me and I I, I, I share that with other brothers and sisters as well that this is the best uh, you have to look at the situation and say, trust Allah. And what is happening to you is why is because Allah that's the best for you. That's what Allah is. And Habibi, you, you seem like somebody who's a doer, who's a problem solver, um, not to take, you know, challenges in life lying down. I mean, what where do you get all this energy from? Uh I think I think the work I I've been involved with and I'm I've been very fortunate spending a lot of time with Dr. Honey. Um, I see him uh, even when you go on Facebook you see what he's doing he's, his health is not great and um, he's the, the time I've spent with this man it's incredible the wisdom and the, the knowledge he has and those short simple sentences um, they, are, they are a great great uh, uh, wisdom and, and, and lessons for myself uh, like I mentioned earlier on holding a tree and asking you know they, they, you don't find that um, and um, just just I think I've, I've seen a lot of disasters I've seen a lot of humanity in pain I've seen a lot of hunger um, and then that gives you energy because you we are not facing that okay we may go into the field for a week or two weeks 
and then we come back to our own world and you look around I say to people in hospitals here uh, uh, look how fortunate we are with the NHS and the, the services the public services we, we use here every day there are people um, in my look majority of people who are from Pakistan who listen to a lot of our radio station in, in south of Pakistan in Sindh area there are families they are still in this 21st century they have never seen a fruit a fruit you know a banana or an orange or an apple never in their life now, and look at us look what we have um, I remember in, in Darfur in Darfur in, in Sudan West Sudan um, we took out a, a, a note a local currency it was about five pounds or something equal and this old man 80 year old man he he put it he, he had it and he, he says can i touch it and we give it to him and that was first time his entire he touched a note a money currency i mean and uh, so the all those incidents and 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 moments that's what gives you energy gives you a lot of energy and they're heavy boosts and then the sentences from dr honey they are like a heavy dose as well and subhanallah and um, I think you learn from each other. You observe and it's just how you see things, you know. It all depends on how, how you view things and how you assess the situations and just try to be positive, you know, and Allah, Allah is amazing. Everybody's got to go. Everybody's going to leave the world. So just do your little bit. Just do your... And don't don't uh, try to do everything in one go or you think you'll save the world or you'll change the whole situation overnight. It doesn't. As long as people... You leave a legacy. That's Dr. Honey says. Love live and just leave a legacy behind so people remember you for good things instead of saying thank god he or she's gone you know and i guess you know working in any of this sort of community work or global work you have to make sacrifices yeah I mean, what do you think have been the biggest sacrifices you've had to make family life family life has been tough um, any aid worker, any charity worker out there, even the work you guys do, social work. I mean, when you're in Ramadan, you're here 20, you know what I mean? And every year, this was 18th year now, Radio Ramadan, 18th, 19th, 20, or 20th? Over 20 years. Well, you ask every person who's been involved, those 29, 30 days, you're, you're, you're here. And I've seen myself, so many, uh, every Ramadan people here, and uh, they are, mashallah, you'll see it today, you'll see it every day that they. And this is on a smaller scale in your local community, but still your family suffers. Uh, but on a next scale, I suppose nationally or internationally, if you are working abroad, then um, um, that that's the price you pay that you have to. Because I think as a Muslim, uh, any aid worker you, you you speak to them, they see as a mission. It's not a job. So even in the field, you don't switch off after 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. You just carry on. Um, I have seen uh, my other colleagues, my own colleagues, um, working midnight, bitter cold, and, and after a Kashmir earthquake and snow, and oh, it's, it's, and that, that, that's how you just got to do it. And their family suffering earthquake. I remember after earthquake, so many colleagues I know who lost their own families. They heard they have lost their mother or father. They couldn't leave the job site. They said, look, I've lost my father, but I've, look at the people I've lost in front of me. I can't just turn around and go and bury my father or bury... That, that is hard. That is hard. And I've seen that people doing that. So who is it that helps the helpers? Subhanallah. Help the helpers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, without Allah's support and his 
uh, he gives you that strength uh, he is he is the the ultimate sort of source and and uh, we have to turn to and um, that is where the 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 real uh, connection we need to establish and uh, revive our connection because that's where really it happens we have, we have never ever had this attitude i am going to this country to help other people what we got to offer you know in fact they help us i remember in coming back from sudan my first visit and the last few hours before we were leaving we were saying goodbye to extremely poor people in 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 darfur 45-50 degrees temperature nothing to eat nothing to drink and I asked a group of people I am going back to UK a very rich country beautiful community what do you want me to say to them give me a message which I take back and subhanallah uh, maybe 85-87 year old man stood up and put his hand on my shoulder and he said son when you go back now when he said when you go back immediately i said oh my god he's going to give me a big long list send this for us send and he said when you go back just tell our brothers and sisters to remember us in their prayers in their duas and then I, and i thought he was going to see more and then i i thought well anything else and that's it he didn't say anything else Subhanallah, look at the sabr Allah has given these people. They are dying themselves. They have no water, nothing. They haven't washed for two, three weeks. And their children are standing on this uh, burning sun. You know, it was I took my shoes off. I wanted to feel the heat on the, uh, on the, on the ground, the sand. And wallahi, within 10 seconds, I had to put my socks back on and my shoes. I couldn't bear. And there it's in front of me. The children and the men and ladies barefoot. No, and uh, sabr, I would say I've learned from these poor people. Love, I've learned from the poor people. Genuine love, genuine love. You know, when we touch each other, we hug each other. The hugs I have received in Bangladesh in Cyclone Sidr, the hugs I've received in Lebanon and in Palestine. You cannot replace that. It's, there's nothing. I've not felt that in these in this end of the world. Whereas with the poor people, when I've seen the woman, when you are giving them a food package and they lift their hands and when they make a dua and the tears coming or down dropping on their, they are genuine tears. And I I truly believe their duas are immediately answered because they are some tears are through happiness, some are just through the situation some are burying their own children because they have died because of hunger uh, there's so much we learn so in in why when dr honey says to us you are going to learn to gain to, you will gain more from them is true uh, and when i look back he was absolutely right does that ever lead to guilt when you come back in terms of you feel guilty with so much privilege that we have yes we do oh that that is that's the hard one and that that is a uh, that is where I say we will be on the day of judgment. May Allah, we, we have got a lot to answer for. A lot to answer for. A lot. And you know the wealth we have. You know, Allah says, I will give you more if you spend. And then we are not spending. Or sometimes we are, we are immediately we are becoming an accountant. And I say, look, I've got that much money and I've got that bill to pay. I've got. But Allah is saying, I'll give you more in this world and hereafter. So, you know, there's Allah's 
wordings in Quran and there's a we are trying to analyze our own finances and then Muhammad Sallallahu has trained his companions that you want to be rich keep giving keep giving keep giving you Allah will give you more but then on the other side uh, uh, amazing I'm not denying our general uh, look in Ramadan this year inshallah within 29 30 days the Muslim community in UK will be giving more than 30, 100 million pounds in UK alone that's generosity but how do we for our, those of, those of us that are living the comfortable life how mm. do we burst that bubble that we're living in because mm. we haven't seen that extreme poverty that death the disaster how do we come out of our shells and this artificial bubble that we live in five minutes they have to spend before go to bed list the namas let's just raise the blessings of Allah has given you today you'll be shocked if you write them down from the morning to the night five minutes just reflect go back rewind it from the morning up till now look back how much Allah has given you today and if you just do that for a few weeks couple of weeks two or three weeks watch what happens Tell us about your next item that you'll take with you. My next item is something I use it uh, a lot on the stage. And it says, um, you know, we say sky's the limit. You know, you know we always say that, no? sky's the limit and, and uh, we can touch the sky and so on. And I always say, and it's, 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 it's very simple. People ask me, how, how do you raise money and how, how difficult is it? And I say, it's not difficult as long as you speak from your heart and uh, only from the heart. You can touch the sky and this is where we are lacking is we have to go back and revive our emotions and that's love which we have in our heart we all want to love Allah uh, love Allah love Prophet Muhammad let's put that in action love humanity you know love human beings and creation of Allah look at the beautiful this world we have we just need to open our hearts out genuinely make this effort to the Muslims to the non-Muslims to the atheist everyone everyone and that is what Muhammad Sallallahu taught. Love everyone. But look at look what we do. If you're not from my village or if you're not from Pakistan and you're look at look look how I would shake hand with you and how we you know the, we need to go back to our roots and that is open the heart. It was the it was opening of the hearts. That that's where Islam Islam entered into the hearts of uh, of, of companions and it was that Muhammad Sallallahu's genuine love for humanity before he declared himself as a prophet it was his love wasn't it and that love is from the heart genuine love and this is what we need and as we come towards the end of the interview brother Habib um, what do you do as we come to the end of the interview brother Habib um, how do you relax when you're not working <laughs> two things again I go back to Dr. Hanid once I was sleeping and he phoned me 3am 3am he says, he just called me Habibu. Habibu, what are you doing? I said, Dr. Ani, I'm sleeping. He said, what do you mean you're sleeping? I said, Dr. Ani, it's three o'clock. He says, two things you don't do in this world. One is stop and second is sleep. I said, what do you mean? He says, you stop when you die and you sleep in the grave. Okay, have a nice night. <laughs> Good night, Islam. <laughs> he did that. And I always remember that. And... Uh, Stop, I suppose, when we die, we stop and then... But do you wind up? Do you pick relax. up the sitar when you need well, to do, wind no, no, down? No, 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 I, do I don't, I don't. I, I, I'm beginning to... Uh, you can see the man who comes in the evening. is Zubair Malikana. He's, he's into his uh, mountain. Uh, he likes his, his walks and so on. And I've started uh, before Ramadan uh, walking as well. And after Ramadan, inshallah, carry on 
walking just nature you know go out in the mountains and and uh, talk to Allah tell us about your last item oh last item I think is the one every Muslim knows is Surah Ikhlas uh, very powerful I, I, I love this surah because my father recites a lot when I'm in the village and if he's leading the prayer he has to read that surah in the if you just reflect on the meanings and the beautiful and that's what's going to be uh, starts with Allah and if everything finishes with Allah and a uh, uh, simple surah very powerful summary of the Quran read it in the morning read it before you go into bed it cures your uh, illnesses and so much peace uh, of mind uh, recite a lot inshallah and uh, that's uh, I try myself uh, uh, miss a lot as well but uh, but um, finish your day end your day with Surah Ikhlas and um, and as so, you're on this desert island, Habib, you'll be on your own. How do you think you'll cope with that solitude? Just write. Um, keep a note of. I, I mean, I, I like my notes, you know. I Something I've had a habit, even in the motor trade when I was in writing, when people used to call, I would take a note of everything. And an Islamic leaf work, and I, I, I keep a note of my diaries. So you write along my, there. My diary is way more than forty kilograms. Do you keep a diary every, every night? single day? Every single I can show you <laughs> what I did in Islamic leaf for when I worked. Every single day I can show you what I did, and it's something I, people, guys know me who they, I, 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 they are my notes. You know, sometimes I write Urdu, English, whatever, just to keep a, a note of what I do. Where I travel, voice record every performance, every stage performance I've got a recording of. It's just something I love writing and my for myself, you know. I do carry my notebook and my pencil with me because mobiles you can't text and it's not the same. You have to, column, you know, is this special about column, you know, Allah talks about as well. And I teach you, it's just holding that pen and scribbling on a piece of paper is just amazing. And is there a fixed it. time you do it or just is it a night time you'll sit and catch up for the day or is it any time you'll just... I, I, I do, uh, if I'm driving, I would record it. I've got a voice recorder with me all the time. I just record it. Sometimes I would write it as well, so I capture it. Uh, notebooks uh, um, sometime in the late afternoon or during the day just whenever I carry it with me all the time and do you so. go back and listen to this stuff sometime I do sometime in the old day I remember a few times Islamic Leaf headquarters asked me Habib that meeting happened can you can you please send us a, a photo image of the pages you have and I've done it or some of the photographs I mean I've captured everything I've done I've, I keep a photographs as well thousands and thousands of photographs I have of events and meetings I've had and a few times they have asked me can you go into your gallery and please and alhamdulillah I had, I had so why, why is that documentation that archiving of what you've done why is that important do you think I think children would look back read it and uh, I look back reflect as well it's just a memory of, of um, maybe somebody will pick something out of um, of what I've, I've got written and uh, notes I have, drawings I have. Do you find yeah. it therapeutic for you as well? I do. I mean, I, if I don't write it, I, I feel there's something missing. You know, I, I have to do it. I have to do it. 
um, capturing. Uh, I've stayed in more than 250 odd hotels in UK alone. I have a picture of every one of them. <laughs> every one of them. Yeah, see, I'm telling you things which people don't know. Getting worried here. Eh? <laughs> I do. I mean, I, it's just something of just memory. You yeah. know, just want to capture the moments. And it's Allah has blessed you, you know, and just capture it. And writing is something I would say to the young people. Write. First, you will end up writing activities, what you do. Eventually, slowly, slowly, you'll start translating into your thoughts, how you felt, your feelings about the day. And that's where you get the buzz. It's those feelings when you start writing. Um, uh, but write. Some people say, I'll type it on the laptop. I, it's, I don't find it. I've tried it. I've tried it. It doesn't work. For me, it has to be on a piece of paper and with a pen or a pencil and uh, mix it sometimes I write English start Ur- and switch it to Urdu and then back to English and just for myself so it sounds you'll have plenty to do on this desert island that's why I say I keep a note and I keep myself busy and just draw whatever I see or write notebook and pencil any yeah. other luxury item that you'll oh towel towel is important towel is important you can use it once you're washed to dry you can use it as a wee cumble you can use it <laughs> as a pillow and whatever you like Practical. Uh, towel, yeah, yeah. Keep it one in my car. Sometimes I'm driving my neck so sore, I end up wrapping it behind. You'll see. You'll see. People say, why have you got towel? And I said, it's, it, it, it's handy. Uh, Sometimes I stick it under my right arm because it's sore. And then uh, in Pakistan, people keep a chadar. You know, the old, in our elder generation, they used to have a pug. You know, there'd be turban. And then they became chadars. Chadars was very important. Sometimes you see some of the scholars, the Asian Pakistani scholars, they still have it. And uh, in this country, uh, I, I say carry a towel. Honestly, <laughs> it's very handy too. And especially if you travel a lot. If you travel a lot, you it, it comes very handy. Sometimes I sleep in my car. Really? If I'm really retired last thing, I'll take a wee nap an hour on the park on the services. And then you put the towel. Wait till my family hears all this. <laughs> my mother will kill me. Says, you said you <laughs> So I say, no, no, it was an amazing journey. But sometimes it gets tiring and then you have to pull it's been fascinating talking to you may Allah thank you reward you for all your efforts and continue to give you the energy and strength to carry on for another few decades inshallah I uh, wish you all the best remember us in your du'as thank you for the opportunity For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.